This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, and welcome to the 65th episode of Lake of Rage, a Pokemon trading card game podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, a.k.a. Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by two very special temporary guest hosts. Joining us for the first time in about a year, but the second time overall, we have Nate Kaplan, fresh off a 37th place finish in NAIC. Hey, everyone. What's up? And joining us for the first time, fresh off a top eight finish at NAIC, we have... Noah Yoshida. Hey guys. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Excited to chat. Thanks for being here. We have a very special episode for y'all today. This is the Palkia episode. This is the deepest of dives that we can possibly give you. Both of these players played Palkia this past weekend and a fairly interesting list at that. So we're going to first off learn a little bit about who Noah is. Then we're going to talk about the deck selection and most importantly, some of those tech choices. Because when you look at the lists in top eight, they all look the same with one exception. And that is uh, Noah's list. And if you go look at the list right now, you will see there are some things in there. You don't know why they're there. I don't know why they're there either. We're going to learn together. And then we're going to talk about both of their runs because they both did incredibly well and played some very interesting matchups. But we'll get into that as well. But first off, Noah, I'm going to be honest. I have never heard your name before, uh, your NAIC run. Can you kind of introduce yourself? You know, when did you start playing? What are some of your accomplishments? Where did this top eight come from? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I expect. I, I think there were about three people in all of NAIC who knew me before uh, this year. So, um, and they were all people that I pretty much played with in Kansas. Um, so I started playing in 2008 in juniors. Um, I was not particularly good in juniors, um, but, you know, got into the game, um, aged up into seniors where had a pretty good run. Um, my last three years in seniors, I qualified for Worlds um, all three years, attended Worlds twice. Um, and my final year in 2013, I managed um, to make top eight at Nationals and top 16 at Worlds. Um, then after that, I, you know, started playing a little less, um, was more busy in high school, um, pretty much you know, tapered off by uh, by about like 2015 um, and then went to college, didn't have Pokemon around. So <laughs> pretty much quit cold turkey um, for about five years. Um, and then, you know, of course, COVID hit. Um, but, you know, as tournaments were coming back, I said, hey, like, you know, Pokemon was really fun part of my life for like, you know, six or seven years. Um, kind of want to get back into it. So, yeah, I went to some locals, um, met Nate, you know, in like February. Um, Went to Salt Lake City Regionals with him, uh, went to a 1K as well, um, and then showed up to Milwaukee and NAIC. So, yeah, that was my third tournament in <laughs> about eight years. Jeez, well, welcome back to the game. <laughs> what a way to show that you still got it. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it's great seeing everyone that, you know, I used to know. And, yeah, the community is very welcoming, so it's been great. And for anyone wondering, uh, 
If you're a new listener and you haven't listened, go back and listen to the episode where we had Nate on the first time and his run with Baby Blounds in the previous NAIC into a top four finish to learn more about him. And also, here are some predictions that turn out to be incredibly correct (laughs) because uh, this man sees the game in a way that a lot of us don't. Speaking of seeing the game in a way a lot of us don't, you both played Palkia. Now, we're going to run into, you know, how did you come up with Palkia? And most importantly, how did you come up with this list? But before we do that, I want to point out some things for anyone who, you know, people are in their car, they're not sitting behind a computer. They may not have seen the list because let's be honest, we all do the same thing. I'm going to go play Palkia, click on the latest Limitless tournament, click on the highest placing list, copy, import to PTCGO. And they're just going to assume, all right, this is the same list as Bradner. It is not. Some of the highlights, there's a quick shooting Inteleon in here. There are two capture energies in here. We have the usual, there's four Arita and cross switchers and stuff like that. And we also have the rare candy in here as well. So some cards that, it's not even like, oh, these are interesting cards. These are cards that no one has talked about, or at least no one I've heard of has talked about. So you kind of run us through, how did you come to want to play Palkia? And then how did you come up with this very different list? Yeah, Nate, maybe I'll let you take this one. Yeah, for sure. I um, I I can talk a little bit, and then Noah, you might want to give a little bit more backstory for how we came up with maybe some of the specific tech cards. So um, I will give some credit here. I think initially... Um, Initially, the one that got us, got Noah into Palky at least, was Grant Manley, who we were staying with. Um, sort of, uh, we were we were sort of bouncing various tech ideas off of each other. Um, and you know me, I am I played Baby Blounds in 2019. I I avoid meta decks like the plague. Um, so of course, I wasn't on Palky at all. Um, I was I was testing Arceus Duraludon of all decks. Uh, not quite <laughs> off meta, but definitely a little bit, uh, definitely not quite as as complex as Palky is. And uh, and that's what I played for Milwaukee and did terribly. Um, but Doa had a had a solid finish at Milwaukee, and I was looking into and I started looking into Palkia. I'm like, you know, maybe this is one of those formats where it's it's really not correct to go off meta. It's more correct to go on meta and play what is widely considered the best deck. Um, and started testing Noah's list. Noah was grinding the deck really hard, making a lot of changes to it, um, and uh, ended ended up just landing on it because I, I didn't think. I think primarily the biggest. I think the biggest tick off for me as far as a meta choice goes was the counter Spelkia, which is always, I think, one of the reasons why I, this is this is not a good great reason for not playing a meta deck. But <laughs> but oftentimes I avoid them because I, I hate that everyone's countering them. I don't want to be the person who walks into the tournament that everyone's trying to beat. But there's like not really a lot of great cards that beat Palky right now. <laughs> if you look at all the lightning type attackers in the game, the best one is Flying Pikachu VMAX, which don't get me wrong, decent card, one NAIC, but like has definitely has a lot of flaws. Um, and then you look at you know a tier below that, it's stuff like Zero Oro, which is just I mean it it doesn't do anything against Tool Jammer, just has a lot of issues with it. So um, so I think following that logic, I landed on Palkia as what I thought was the best play for for NAIC. Um, and then the night before Noah um, uh, reads reads uh, reads reads some stuff about Palkia and comes up with um, a few of these interesting texts that we added to the list, as well as just generally improving overall consistency, like capture energy. I think I'll let him talk about that one. But um, and I think that for me, like, really sold it, like a, a really consistent version of the best list, and we had a really solid idea of how to beat Mirror. And I think all those factors just came to buy, combined to be like, this is definitely the play. But I think I want to let Noah talk about some of maybe those interesting texts and how he. We- 
how he came across the final list because it changed like six or seven cards literally like 12 hours before the event so wait can yeah, i yes when you oh, say yeah, the ahead. night you're literally mean the night before thursday night before NAIC's yes. friday night <laughs> I was I was getting in bed and um, me and Nate were sharing the same room and I'm like, hey Nate, by the way, I changed six cards in the list and he said, and no, like, hey, no, 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 have you? You're, you're like, have you tested it? I said, no, I haven't tested it, but it's just better. You just look at it, it's better. And he's like, okay, uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for trusting me on that. <laughs> that is a lot of faith. I don't have trust in people changing a single card without testing it. So testing trusting six cards is like ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, and nor normally I will say I wouldn't. Normally, I the thing I I mean I I've stayed with a lot of people at, at events, and every single time, you know, fifty plus percent of the group is panicking the night before, not knowing what to play, myself included. Um, <laughs> and I I always say the number one advice I give is the night before you're not going to come up with. I mean, some people can, but very rarely you're you're not going to come up with something brand new, something insane, something that's going to break the meta. It's just not going to happen. The night before, you're not testing anymore. Play what you're comfortable with. And that also means the list that you're comfortable with. Don't change 10 cards in your list because someone messaged you the night before and they're like, I have these, I have this 10 card spicy deck that beats the, or the spicy tech that beats this one matchup. They're like, don't do that. Play what you're comfortable with. That being said, I looked at the changes and they all made a lot of sense. Um, and, I, and Noah gave me reasons as to why each one was good in the deck. Um, and I was also feeling like our deck, the ver previous version was a little inconsistent. So. Um, so sometimes it's okay, especially when you're adding consistency, which is mostly what we did. But normally, do not advise. <laughs> That's good yeah, advice. Definitely, yeah, definitely recommend that as well. Um, so yeah, I guess I I was playing Palkia ever since pretty much Grant just handed me his list for Milwaukee. I said, all right, cool, I'm gonna run with this. Um, ended up making top 64. Um, while I was playing it, I think Milwaukee was like a good testing ground to kind of figure out what Palkia was good at, what it was bad at and um what you know like how i could improve uh this base list that i started with um so i definitely at milwaukee my losses were all to a mirror match blissey and uh flying pikachu and during all those matchups i kind of realized hey like this list is really consistent but it lacks kind of in-game finishers or like kind of spicy power cards you know we, i wasn't playing quick shooting i wasn't playing echoing horn um so yeah, it definitely felt like the deck would kind of struggle at the very end. So yeah, going into the week before NAIC, I was testing out a lot of stuff. I put in quick shooting, I put in echoing horn, I was trying tool scrapper, I was thinking about Leon, um, and they can kind of say this, we were, you know, we were testing the list the night before, um, and it definitely felt a little inconsistent. Um, and I think that's kind of like why he trusted me with the changes, because I essentially took out all the spicy texts, um, added pure consistency and said, Not quite all of them. Well, <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say yeah. this might be the spiciest list in top eight, so I'm not sure. <laughs> OK, correction, except Sanders, right? But like otherwise, the spiciest <laughs> list in top eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I essentially um, so I guess like to give more more backstory so i'm half japanese and i'm fairly fluent in like reading and speaking japanese um so you know whenever i do like prep or at least this year i've been like reading a lot of japanese twitter because they're meta they're kind of like a month or two ahead of us with the meta um and everyone was referencing this like mythical article um, by team torchik that supposedly just destroyed the meta there just like entirely broke it it changed how everyone was playing palkia all the palkia lists got like super optimized um 
And I was like, okay, like, what are these people talking about? And, you know, I was like, hey, like, you know, I could probably just like figure out a good list of with like a week of testing. But of course, night before the event, I'm, me and Nate were kind of like, oh, this list is feeling a little inconsistent. Um, definitely don't think we should just go back to what I was playing in Milwaukee. Um, so I previously messaged a friend from college who lives in Japan. I said, hey, do you think you could buy this article for me and send me a PDF of it? And thankfully, she woke up at like 6 a.m. and saw it because <laughs> it was like kind of late at night in Columbus. Um, so she sent it to me and um, I ended up reading the whole thing. And they they had a lot of interesting details about like, you know, specific matchups, specific texts. Um, definitely encourage anyone who can uh, to go read it. it. It is $10. I think it's a very worth $10. Um, I'll maybe we can like put a link in the YouTube description or something. Um, oh, yeah. for sure. If you give it to it me, was, I'll have it in the. Yeah, it was very informative um, and yeah, informed pretty much all of the last minute changes that we did. That's awesome. So it sounds like you just kind of trusted that someone else's testing was that good because of these extra like inroads that you have that the rest of us don't have. That's that's using your resources. I love that. Yeah. And I guess also um, kind of like the logic behind the changes made a lot of sense because I had been playing the list for like, you know, been playing Palkia for about like a week nonstop, essentially. Um, so everything that they said made sense. Of course, if it didn't, I think, you know, I'd be a little more hesitant to, you know, randomly take strangers advice on on the Internet. But, you know, everything checked out. And I'm like, OK, you know, this all makes sense. I, you know, I'll just uh, go with it. So, so far, you've been incredibly vague. So I got to ask, what are some of these changes <laughs> that made a lot of sense? And as much as you're yeah. willing to dispose, because like, obviously, the author should get their money's worth or their, they should get paid for their work, right? But like everything that you're willing to be like, this makes sense, or I think this is something that people would figure out or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess like just to get started, um, it's something that I definitely totally forgot about over the like seven years I didn't play, but it's just like basic deck building stuff. So if your main attacker, aka Palkia, if you only have like seven or eight outs to it turn one, you're not going to be getting Palkia down as often as you'd like. Um, and that was one of the main issues with like the version of the deck I was playing the week uh, before in AIC was I'd cut um, a Palkia for like a heavy ball. I was playing Starmie. Um, I think I might have cut a quick ball as well. Um, so in the end, when I kind of laid laid the deck out, um, going first, I only had like eight outs to Palkia, which was not great. Um, because if you don't get Palkia out, sometimes you just lose. Um, so up that consistency a bit with, you know, by taking out the Starmie, taking out the Heavy Ball, adding like Palkia back in. And then um, one of the interesting cards that we added for this was the Capture Energy. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea behind Capture Energy is instead of VIP Pass, um, Capture Energy serves as kind of like another way to find basics turn one, um, as well as being an energy acceleration to, you know, a Sobble or a Greninja that you'll attack with later on in the game. Um, and then, of course, it's not a dead card when you see it late game because you can uh, concealed cards it away. Yeah, that was one of the things that when watching the finals match, you know, Isaiah had the four battle VIP pass and, you know, I'm, I'm talking with chat because I'm co-streaming because I'm not in an AIC, right? It's like, this just feels so bad because he didn't have a battle VIP pass in that game. It's like he has four dead cards in the deck. Azul plays four Marnies and a Roxanne. Like it's going to come back to bite him. And at one point in the game, you know, Azul Marnies him into like a battle VIP pass and he like top decks another or something like that. And it's just like, this just feels so bad when it doesn't come out turn one. So I love that logic of capture energy, half a battle VIP pass, right? Cost your attachment for turn, but you can Greninja it away, which seems incredibly powerful. 
Yeah, I, I want to really emphasize that last point. I think, like, I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I think we all know at this point that Greninja is, you know, a very good card, but um, I, it, I don't know if it's quite intuitive why two cards, like, why just drawing two cards is so good. Um, I think in Palkia specifically, because you're an Intellion deck, Intellion decks tend to not draw very many cards. Um, you have a lot of power, you have a lot of search power, and you can search out those power power, power cards, and we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit more when we discuss, like, matchups, but there's, you can have these huge explosive combos, um, they often require a lot of cards to do, and even, like, just two extra things um, is so important, because a deck that does not draw very many cards, um, an extra two cards... Um, is is immensely helpful and helps you build. I mean, you hit like one more combo piece and that can win you the game. Um, one more cross switcher, something along those lines. So, so the the two cards in a lot of decks might not seem that impactful, but in Teleon specifically, it's really important. Yeah, anyone who's played enough in Teleon should should know that if you're playing in Teleon properly and you're doing your combos every turn, you're eventually going to have a small hand. Like Teleon has this thing of like, oh, you have like an eight card hand, but. That's only if you're, like, building? If you're actually actively doing stuff like Palkia... I don't know, is it wrong to say Palkia is the most aggressive deck in the format outside of Mu Max? It can I, I think, Yeah, okay. it can be, which is, I think, what makes it really strong. It can also be a quite a good mid-range deck and, you know, a deck that kind of comes back from very bad starts. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think maybe, like, you know, Turbo Palkia or something like that will probably take the, take the throne for most aggressive deck, but the fact that Intellion Palkia can almost do the exact same thing that Turbo Palkia does, um, is I think what makes it quite strong. Oh, yeah, do the same thing with just so many other attacking options and so many other. Yeah, no, I agree. Turbo Palkia fell off, and I think that was to no one's surprise who has actually played the Intellion version. So that explains the two captures, right? I guess the rare candy cards gotta suck, right? Yeah, um, so. <laughs> I guess there's like two two reasons for rare candy. I'll go into the first one. Maybe I'll let Nate take the second one. Um, so like the first reason, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. You know, Palkia is the deck that if you don't get Palkia's down turn one, you're probably gonna lose. Um, you know, if you're playing against Mew, they're just gonna chase all your Palkia V's down. If you're against Mirror, they're gonna chase all your Palkia V's down. Um, so it really, like, you're in a tough spot if you don't find Palkia's, but you're bound to not find Palkia's in a decent chunk of your games, right? Um, so what do you do? Or what do you do if you only find one Palkia and you go second, and then they boss KO the Palkia V? Um, so you need you need some way to get back in the game, and that is pretty much what Rare Candy serves, or one of the purposes of Rare Candy. Um, so the idea is you're going second, um, you attach energy to Sobble, you're only able to get one Palkia V out, um, they boss kill Palkia V, and then the next turn you Irida for Candy and Teleon, you know, attach energy, Rare Candy and Teleon, you get two searches back, so you can usually find like one or two more Palkia Vs, um, and then you're hitting with Aqua Bullet for 120, setting up, you know, a one-shot uh, with Palkia on the next turn for whatever you hit, and then possibly setting up for another one-hit KO with the 20 damage from Aqua Bullet on the bench. Is that strategy one of the reasons why you have a 4-3 Palkia line instead of a 3-3 Palkia line like most other decks seem to be running? I think 3-3, if you play 3-3 Palkia, you would need a heavy ball because you might just lose games if you prize one of them. Um, and if you're playing 3 Palkia as well, that's like minus one out to Palkia turn one. Um, so in the end, we just like weren't able to keep like the number of outs to a turn one Palkia high enough um, while also kind of like playing heavy ball. So yeah, that's kind of why we're playing 4-3. That makes a lot of sense. And then, what's the second yeah, reason but... for the candy? 
Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah. So I, and I, I just, and I will have, I'll again, I'll emphasize how strong, like, I mean, it is, it is the normal, a lot of times in this format, your 1v gets knocked out. Like, it feels like you're completely out of the game. The ability to come back into the game and not just come back, come back in really strongly. I mean, Aquablet, I mean, Aquablet is a lot of damage. Like 120 will set up pretty cleanly for a 2 KO on basically anything. And the 20 damage can often be really important later too. Along with getting two searches, which is just outrageous. <laughs> like, um, like yeah, I mean, it feels strong enough on its own being able to just do Aqua Bolt on turn two. But the fact that you get to then search your deck for two cards, you can set up your Palkias. If you already have outs to Palkias in your hand, you can get something else. Um, just the whole combo is very strong. I, I won a lot of games off the back of that. Um, so... Uh, I, I, and, and I think one of the reasons I like it so much is because it's it, you could if you want to think of candy like a tech card, I'll explain why it, it's not really. I think it's just generally useful. But uh, if you think of candy like a tech card, it's helpful in the situations where you're losing, which I think is important. You don't want cards that are helpful in the situations where you're winning because you're going to win anyway. But the cards that help you in the bad situations are particularly strong because they'll bring those win rates up in games you wouldn't have otherwise won. Um, I feel like but the- that little quote there is one that people really need to sit and digest for a second <laughs> because. It's that idea of you've heard win more cards before. The cards that help you when you're winning don't matter because you're already winning. That's just like that's just such good advice and something I think everyone who's a bad deck builder, myself included, should uh should kind of absorb that a little bit real quick. But anyway, okay, keep going, keep going. Um but yeah, yeah, I, I think that's generally an important an important thing to think about with deck building. But then I also I I mean I'm saying it's a tech card, but really it's it's I think I was surprised because originally when originally when I tested candy, not knowing about this like turn two aquablet strategy, I, I wasn't really didn't find myself using it that often. But as I tested more and just kind of knew about its existence in my deck um, and knew of it as an option, I just found it really useful in a lot of different situations. It's really like you're as an Italian deck, you, you pretty commonly just have a sobble on your board, um, just at, generally over the course of the game. And the ability, I mean, if you just draw rare candy, if it's just sitting in your hand, it, it's usually not a bad sight. It's almost very rarely a dead card. The ability to use it into an intel, use it in combination with an evolution incense instead of grabbing a drizzle to grab two cards instead of one is often really important. I mean, a lot of the situations with Palkia that you get into is you'll miss your big explosive combo by one card um, and one additional card. I mean, every single card that you can get out of, out of the deck is really important. So so it was very, I almost always enjoyed having it, which I think just makes the card really strong. And then also you could rare candy out quick shooting, um, which was both useful because sometimes you needed a quick shooting earlier in the game than you would otherwise be able to get it. And also with closed deck list, some kind of kind of <laughs> surprising players who would think, you know, multiple turns in advance would look at your board. They're like, oh, I can't get a quick shooting. No Trizzles in play. Uh, and they would completely miscalculate and you would have a quick shooting the following turn. Particularly useful against Blissey, I think would be a really good, like specific example of that because Blissey, it's all about calculating like he- the damage they're doing, the healing they can do. Um, and if they're off by 20 damage, it can cost them a game. So um a little bit of a more niche use i don't like putting cards in decks that are just like oh my opponent won't know i have it but um i think uh i think in this particular case especially at a large tournament and and rare candy not being popular it it, it, i found a lot of value out of that situation i think to go off of that one as the non-palkia player i played less than five games of palkia and that was all to help a junior test for the event i play against it i am always calculating and i'm always like okay keeping a small bench etc i would have fallen for quick shooting 10 times out of 10 I'm never playing around it. I'm always, I'm going to be 20 damage shy because I know that I can do this, right? I'm playing around Echoing Horn or whatever, or I'm 20 damage shy with the Echoing Horn. So being able to candy out the quick shooting is 
It's don't knock that. <laughs> don't knock that at all in a closed deckless environment. So there was also actually you got the quick shooting, I guess. Is is there other reasons the quick shooting is good? Like where else does that math like how often does that math come up? I'm gonna let Noah take this because he played against the mirror eight times. So um <laughs> I, I think he'll explain the kind of the key situation in which it's useful. Yeah. Um so I think my my main mistake um at Milwaukee was not playing quick shooting. And I think quick shooting is one of the most vital pieces in the deck. Um mainly because again against Palkia, right? You're trying to limit your bench. Um and a lot of decks aren't able to effectively do that. So they're kind of like nerfing themselves by saying, Okay, I'm not getting I'm not gonna use Crobat, I'm not gonna put down another, you know, barrel, I'm not getting another Arceus out. Um and by threatening the quick shooting, you're limiting their bench by one more slot, which is very nice. And if they don't, you you know you're just gonna use quick shooting, take a KO when you shouldn't have, and like win the game. Um, so yeah, quick shooting is very good in that situation. Um, but also, so one one thing that comes up in the mirror match a lot is playing around Roxanne. Mm -hmm. And the reason behind this is, I think you know we mentioned this earlier, at least with this specific build of Palkia. So we have only two draw supporters, we have two Melanies, and we have Greninja. So that's the only way we're ever accumulating cards in our hand. Um, and of course, we, we do have some card advantage with like Irida and um, Shady Dealings and Teleon, but it's not a whole lot. Um, and going down to two cards is can be really like a bad time, you know, as, as a Palkia player. Can um, I interrupt I found, real quick? Oh, the the yeah. concept of card advantage is one that I think is pretty advanced. So can you give a quick like, what does card advantage mean? Sure. Um, so I guess like the, so I might be like misusing the term, but like the way I think about it is I have an Irida in my hand and it's one card and I'm using that one card. So I'm like going down a card in my hand, but in return, Irida is getting me two cards from my deck. Uh, so in that sense, it's almost like I'm netting one card from my hand with Irida and same with the Shady Dealings and Teleon. Since I'm playing it, I'm using one, but I'm getting two cards back. Um, so I'm gaining one. Um, and you'll notice those are like the only situations where we're really gaining cards besides drawing them uh, with concealed cards and Melanie. Um, you know, a, a Drizzile, for example, will will just kind of replace itself with another card in your hand. Um, so, and in a deck, you know, like Palkia, where you're not drawing a lot of cards, it's very important to, you know, maximize every single card in your hand. Um, because, you know, a deck that plays Crobat, plays Research, plays Barrel, you're going to be churning through you know, a third of your deck every turn sometimes. Um, but with Palkia, you know, you don't have that kind of luxury. So, um, yeah, keeping, you know, making sure that you're able to kind of maximize uh, the cards that you have is very important. I will say, I think that's a very valid valid use of the terminology for for those for the for listeners who, who play other card games. Card advantage for other games is often used as a term of like, uh, like in, in Magic the Gathering and Hearthstone, maybe a little bit less so these days, but but it's you draw so few cards over the course of a game, the idea that you're using fewer cards than your opponent is to, to, to like, you're using fewer cards to deal with your opponent's, like, I use one card to deal with two of my opponent's cards. That's how a lot of people use card advantage. That concept does not really exist in Pokemon, so, um, because there's there's just so much draw, but um, in a deck like Palkia where you don't have a lot of draw, it's, it's, it's much more, it's much more important to think about. That makes sense. All right, anyway, go back to, yeah. go back to the Roxanne stuff. I know you, I interrupt you on a good, uh, a good run. Yeah, so for Roxanne, um, I, I think it's less impactful. Well, it's specifically less impactful against Palkia decks that run high counts of research and um, 
and still run cro cross switchers um, because against uh, if they get Roxanne, they can always just you know find an out to a research, draw seven, and then maybe get the cross switchers usually for game at that point if you know you're Roxanning them. Um, but most Palkis these days are running high eared accounts. Um, so when they have two cards to work with in their hand, usually they can at best, you know, get an Irida or maybe get a Shady Dealings Inteleon and then get two more cards to work with. So you're really, you know, Palkia only has about like three or four cards to work with after a Roxanne. Um, and I found pretty much every every time I was playing the deck, I was always trying to avoid getting Roxanne until like the latest, the last possible moment or trying to bait out a Roxanne after I had established a really good board position. So I could play with pretty much zero cards in my hand for like one or two turns. Um, and in that sense, quick shooting is really helpful um, going back all the way to quick shooting. I think that's what we started talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, quick shooting is able to just sit there and ensure that, you know, within one or two turns, I'll be able to get a one hit KO on something. So if I'm not able to do it on the active, I can soften up their second attacker on the bench over a few turns. Um, and, you know, I don't need any kind of fancy cross switchers or belts or echoing horn. Um, as long as I have some Palkias out, I'm usually able to take a take a one shot. So it's helpful in that sense. And then against the mirror specifically, what you can do is um, oftentimes, you know, getting the first two prizes is fairly easy. Um, but then, you know, you're in a situation where, okay, I can take another two prizes this turn, but then I'm just going to get rock sand. They're going to KO my Palkia. I'm going to have one left. But only two cards in hand and then most likely they can just like boss kill something or echoing horn or set up a very good one hit k on my active um, so how do i avoid that and the answer uh that i kind of came up with and i think maybe they talk about it in the article too is um you soften up uh the active palkia with like you know 250 to 260 damage um and then the next turn you finish it off with quick shooting and then um, what you can actually do if you play Echoing Horn is you Echoing Horn the Palkia, you just knocked out back to the bench. And since they had a full bench, you just boss KO that and take four prizes <laughs> in a single turn, completely avoiding Roxanne. And that's actually how I beat um, Gustavo Wada in um, my day two match against him. It was game two. I was able to pull that off and he just kind of threw his hands in the air. It's like, it's like, there's no playing around that really. Like unless, unless they're playing Marnie, you know, they can't disrupt you. So you can pretty much checkmate uh, the mirror match as early as like turn three. Wait, that's disgusting. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Did you just like, I feel like everyone listening to this is just like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at the mirror match in an entirely different way now after hearing that line of play. That's so yeah, good. And then, of course, you know, if they're going really aggressive against me, I just throw, throw down Roxanne and oftentimes they just have to take very suboptimal lines where they're just two-shotting a Palky in the active um, or, you know, they're not able to establish a quick shooting after I Roxanne them. So then once again, they're taking, you know, two hit KOs in the active. Um, I will say that that line is slightly susceptible to Cheryl. So if they play Cheryl, they can always Cheryl and then Star Portal back. Um, you can do things to avoid that, um, you know, by trying to play around, you know, if they've used Star Portal, for example, or um, one thing you can do is if they have used Star Portal, um, you can you know, get quick shooting out a turn early and hit the benched one because when they use Cheryl, they have to, you know, remove all damage from all their evolutions and discard all the energy. So if they make the mistake of evolving prematurely on the bench, you can, you know, get that so they can't Cheryl. But, you know, those are those are very specific scenarios. I think generally that that uh, the quick shooting plan, you know, worked a lot for me. Um, and yeah, I I almost like never 
would get rock sand unless I knew like, you know, I could handle going down to like essentially no hand. I have a question about the mirror match since we're kind of on the topic already. Greninja. Is Greninja mm -hmm. bait in the mirror match or is it one of your best tools? Greninja is 100% bait in the mirror match. I, okay, Nate, Nate, Nate's kind of shaking his head. I, <laughs> I think it's usually 100% bait. Um, and I was kind of thinking about this earlier today. I'm like, you know, why did using Greninja feel so bad? And it's essentially if you, if you use it and you don't immediately win the game, you're putting yourself in a really bad spot. Um, a lot of, a lot of Palkia is maximizing your star portal usage. Um, it's like a very, very strong ability and you don't want to just, you know, use it on, you know, Greninja entirely, especially because you're wasting one of the energy because there's going to be one energy left on Greninja. Um, and if you think about it, it's like you're trading three energy cards for two prizes, whereas a Palkia, you can trade two energy cards for somewhere between two and four prize cards. Um, so it's like not a very efficient use of your energy. And in the mirror match, if, if you use it and they're able to, you know, make a comeback from it, um, you're essentially locking yourself into using Melanie for like one or two turns, which is not great. And Nate, you yeah, were disagreeing, I, so I want to see. I, so I, I, I agree with basically everything Noah said. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's 100% bait. I think that's, yeah, I, I, do, I do think, you know, Greninja is a very valuable attacker. I do think it's not something I, 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 I think, as Noah was emphasizing earlier, a lot of the mirror comes down to Roxanne. I, admittedly, I only played the mirror once in the tournament, which is pretty funny. Noah played against it eight times. Um, but I... Um, but uh, it was my experience, even in that one match, that is also a, the mirror very much in, in a lot of ways revolves around Roxanne. And if you're Greninjaing, you're 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 often it's often hurting your. You know, I wouldn't say throwing away your board, but it, it hurts your board a lot. You're throwing away a lot of energy. Um, sometimes you have to like retreat your Palkia, so you're losing two energy off a of Palkia when you do it to to attack with it. Um, and um, you're putting yourself just in a in a kind of a, a fragile board state. And if you walk into Roxanne off that, you're going to be in really bad shape. That being said, as Noah said, you, you shouldn't use it unless it instantly wins you the game there are a non-zero number of situations where it sort of does instantly win you the game uh in one of my mirror games um i took out both their sable also roxanne them in the same turn and i would count that as like essentially instantly winning uh, they, yeah. they prized he, he prized mad if he got really unlucky but um he um but like that's a situation where i essentially instantly won the game with it um and i didn't i didn't i mean i didn't take my fifth and sixth prize of it but um it put me in a very very strong board position so it's definitely an option you want to consider i wouldn't avoid it completely um but i wouldn't factor it into your core game plan even if they don't have manaphy out you want to make sure you're not you're not opening up your you're not you're not uh kind of making your board brittle to the point where you're going to lose something like roxanne or even them just playing normally um and after you burned all your resources so in general it sounds like the idea of because i've heard this idea come up a lot or i'll go watch random twitch streamers occasionally to see you know people are doing okay and a lot of the palkia players want to go two prizes with their Palkia, two prizes with their Greninja, and two prizes with their Palkia in the mirror match. And that's, judging from the looks on your faces for our audio listeners, they are very against that strategy, it sounds like. Yeah, so when I hear that, what I hear is I don't have a Palkia with energy, and I use Star Portal to use Greninja, and then I immediately get Roxanne after that. So I have no energy in play, and I have a two-card hand. That that doesn't sound very good for me, um, especially. So I will say in the mirror match, um, one thing I think our list is good about, um, good with, and I think why I was able to win all my mirror matches or at least tie them was uh, we don't have any kind of like random cards that will sit on our bench um, because in the mirror match, while we were kind of like saying you know don't use Greninja unless it's going to win you the game, 
it will often win you the game if they don't have mana fee in play. Um, and like it, oftentimes you will have a situation where you're only out to your next card is like a level ball for Josile, right? And so mana fee usually should, you know, be on your board. I'm not saying don't play it. Um, but then also you're going to have your Greninja on your board as well, you know, to draw cards. And then you need another Palkia. So that's already three bench spots. So in the, in the mirror match, you're only able to ever have two Sobbles down. And if if you play anything else like Luminion, like Crobat, like Zigzagoon, suddenly you only have one Sobble down. And that is also, like, you know, a very rough spot to be in. Um, I had several opponents, you know, open, not Sobble, Greninja, Manaphy, or Palkia. And then the game just felt, like, incredibly easy after that because they had no access to quick shooting because they had to use Shady Dealings and Teleon to get enough cards to actually work, you know, have their deck function. Um, and then if they don't, if they don't scoop up net shady dealings and Teleon, as soon as they cross the kind of Roxanne threshold, I was able to just Roxanne them completely out of the game, and there's nothing you can do about that. I have a purely selfish follow-up question for that, and that is, I'm an Arceus player. The way Arceus plays the matchup is Arceus, Arceus, Sobble, nothing else on the field. As the Palkia player, how are you beating that? Because I, 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 I can well, think of ways, <laughs> but... I'll let, I'll let Nate take that i am personally like zero and ten against arceus and teleon and like testing and i my one my one loss day two was um to uh brian kim who made top four with arceus and teleon i i did i am kind of i kicked myself after the match a little bit because i did the greninja thing i was like oh you know i think i'm gonna greninja him here i think he has a dead hand and then immediately he punished me and i'm like well you know i can't i can't recover from using greninja and then getting like roxanne like two turns later so yeah, but yeah, Nate, I think you played against it more, so I'll let you take that. So I believe it was the only deck I played against. It was one of the only two decks I played against more than once. I played against <laughs> like like 12 different decks over the course of the event. But um, I So I played against it, I believe, four times and went 3-0-1 against it. Um, I believe my I also my one tie was I got a penalty, completely my fault. I made a really stupid mistake, um, but would have resulted in a win. So I'll, I'll count that as like strategically it, it was working out. So um, I... Uh, yeah, I don't I don't I mean I even despite my record, I don't think it's like an amazing matchup for Palkia. I think it's I think it's I think it's close. Um and I think if you were to argue that it's like slightly in Arceus and Tillion's favor, I think that'd be very reasonable. I, I haven't tested it quite enough to to like put numbers on it, but um the in Ar in the Arceus and Tillion matchup, the most important thing as Palkia as far as game plans is to like just chill out. Like it's it's a very slow it Arceus and Tillion's a very slow deck. Um they can't even one-shot your Palkia of Vs, so really they have no outs to like make aggressive plays of any kind. So it's going to take them at least, usually usually around six turns to win. They're going to need about six attacks to win the game. Um, they're going to have to two-shot two Palkia and then kill two, two single prizers, or they'll have to they'll have to take down three Palkias, which is six attacks. They can probably use bosses orders at various times. You know, if you if you try to make it more than six attacks, it'll probably be around six. So that that's a fairly long game. Um, so you have time to chill and set up your board. Um, and put yourself in a really in a really uh, strong board position um, to play around Roxanne, and then also be able to make big combos. So in, in the matchup, you're going to need to make some big power plays to win. You're going to need to like horn boss something. You're going to need to boss an Arceus on the bench sometimes with a big charm and use all your damage modifiers to knock it out. Um, but the most important thing is before you do any of that, you get a lot of energy in play. You set up your board really cleanly. You don't walk into a Roxanne, and then and only then, when your board is really set up and strong, then you can go for those big power plays. And you have time to do that because Arceus and Talion is very slow. Um, so usually, 
it it is it is almost impossible to take down an Arceus V Star in one hit. Um, even even without a big charm, it's very difficult. It is possible if they really overfill their bench, but it's it's quite hard. So usually the winning line is something along the lines of you you chug your way through one Arceus V Star. Um, they miss one Charons, which is not that uncommon because they only have you usually only have one Soblin play, so it can actually be kind of hard for them to find the Charons, especially after they've already used one or two. They have to like find Palpad in the same turn, and that can be difficult. Um, so you get your way through one Arceus V Star, and then they're gonna if they're doing Charon's Loop, they'll usually have an Arceus V on their bench. So you'll you'll cross switcher or boss that Arceus V, use all your damage modifiers to knock it out, um, and then you'll horn boss another Arceus V, um, or maybe you'll you'll take down a single prizer, and then you'll horn boss a single prizer. And of course, they can play there on that with ordinary rod. They have a lot of answers to your stuff. But I think I think the most important note in the matchup that might not be intuitive is to just relax at the beginning of the game, set up your board, and then go for the big plays. You don't need to be in this big rush like, oh, I, I have to find all my combo pieces on turn two to knock out Arceus V on the bench. You don't need to do that. You also should not go Greninja to take out a single prizer and then hit an Arceus that also which I believe would know it did which just you know it's a very reasonable I mean it looks it looks really good like oh I'm setting up an Arceus for two shot I'm taking out their Sobble um but if you put yourself in a bad board state after doing that you're going to be in trouble uh, you there are some opportunities where Greninja is strong um taking out one Sobble or oftentimes if they don't put Manaphy down which also means they're benching an extra thing if they don't put Manaphy down you can take out two Sobbles um so there are opportunities to use Greninja but um you should only do it if you're like really really sure it's going to put you in a good spot because using greninja as we've mentioned several times really hurts your board state and and that's sort of the the death sentence in that in that particular matchup that makes a lot of sense thank you for uh helping me learn to beat the deck <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i don't i don't know how to play it from the other side i'm not i'm not a very good arceus Italian player but Honestly, I barely started to learn it. I saw Orion Sutherland tweet out a list they were playing in the late night, and I was like, why is there no mana fee? Don't you just lose to this? And they responded like, that's not how you play the matchup. And I was like, oh, I need to test this. And so I started testing it. And PTCGO ladder is kind of a meme for testing, but it gave me the chance of like to see it from the Arceus side against Palkia's, right? And so now I'm kind of like, well, what does a good Palkia player do? <laughs> so thank you. Again, purely selfish. All right. Are you both ready to uh, talk a little bit about your runs at NAIC? Cool. Yep. Okay. So the very first thing, and it's a question for both of you, and then we'll kind of go into the days and, you know, some of the key matchups and stuff like that. But the very first question I always want to ask people, because everyone's so different. So you submitted your deck list at, I don't know, what, 8 p.m. on Thursday night? If not later? Uh, probably more like. <laughs> like 7 a.m um, <laughs> friday morning I think I yeah. at like maybe midnight the night before okay yeah. so we're talking about midnight 7 a.m ridiculously late how are you feeling sitting down for round one? First naic in either three years right for nate you know god you got the top four matt i know you brought it and you were using it right so you got to defend your title and noah your first naic in masters ever correct i i played oh. in 2014 and 2015 and i went like one three drop both oh, times perfect so, yeah. <laughs> so so first one in eight years if my math is right seven. okay perfect. Uh, seven years yeah seven okay perfect so what are you doing thinking either this is my first one in seven years i have to defend my top four and i'm playing a list that i submitted 25 minutes ago uh nate can we start with you 
How are you feeling and what are you thinking going into round one? Are you ready to make top cut? Are you thinking I'm going to fall on my face so hard? Like, where are you at? Uh, definitely a lot of different things. I'm, I definitely wish I got more sleep. That's, that's pretty <laughs> consistent across tournaments that I go to. Uh, yeah, always could always use more sleep. Um, I'm, I often get very nervous before round one. I think until I get really into the tournament, I'm like feeling the list. I'm feeling the deck. Like, I think, uh, I think I, I'm just, I'm somewhat, I'm going through all the scenarios in which I can lose. Um, don't do that. Not good for your, not mental is like a really important factor of the game. So definitely not a good thing to be doing before the tournament. Um, and then also for me, it was, I, I know this sounds silly, but it was really one of the first, if not the first, like ever large event I had played like a true meta deck at, um, it wasn't the kind of deck that's just like, oh, I'm going to blow you up every turn. And often those kinds of decks that have like baby bonds, an example, I, I played a few others too, but, um, often those decks have some really strong matchups. So sometimes I'll be a little less nervous because if I sit in front of a good matchup, I'm like, oh, I got this. I know it. But Palkia was not one of those decks. Like. I I think Palkia does have strong matchups in places, but it's not like it's got auto wins the way Baby Blounds does. Um, and so I think that also made me nervous because there's more opportunities for misplays. There's more opportunities for things to go wrong. The deck was also just a lot more complicated. There's a lot more going on. So um, on lack of sleep and also not as tested as I would have liked to be, I was definitely really nervous. Um, so getting getting over that like round one to like hump of 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 nervousness um is definitely really important but also uh also good to remember like you're only human like mistakes will happen you've tested as well as you can um so trying to shake off as much of those nerves as early as possible is is definitely a big part of the game because i i misplay more in earlier rounds than i do in later rounds because of that um and thankfully i sat down so not well sort of thankfully i sat (laughs) so my round one i sat down against turbo dark which i had never tested against ever um i knew what the deck did uh, it was it was it was like dark iv star like yeah. galarian Moltres v uh plays like four dark patch um tries to tries to get a really fast start and blow you up very quickly did they have the wheezing um, or no they did not have wheezing okay. thankfully i actually i like i i yeah i was like if this person had opened wheezing i would have lost the game immediately like i had a, my hand was like i would have just died to wheezing so very glad they did not play it but um yeah had never tested it um, but, um, sort of shook it off, like went with a normal Palkia game plan, came up with, came up, like, I, I knew one of Dar- Turbo Dark's weaknesses was that they have to bench a lot of random Vs like Crobats and Glorian Moltraces. Um, so sort of just went with a normal plan of like boss, boss, horn boss. Uh, I think I took down one Dark Ray V star. I think I got a KO with a Manaphy around one actually, which I think would be an interesting topic to talk about later, like coming up, how you come up with those weird situations. But, um, but uh yeah i think once once i was over round one um, i was feeling a lot better um and continued from there started played against a lot of different decks days one i think i only i played against mute twice and that was my only repeat deck in day one and then um i played and then i went seven one one in day one and then unfortunately lack of sleep um and some nerves got to me day two uh i made a couple errors that got me penalties made a few misplays uh, again all my fault not not blaming the judges in any way um and I, I ended up 9-3-3 at 37th, which I was pretty pleased with. First time playing a meta deck at a big event, pretty complicated. Um, you know, could have used more testing. So I was pleased with my run. It, it feels really bad to have lost to, like, silly mistakes. I think that was the thing that was most frustrating for me. Um, but overall pleased. Yeah, over, overall pleased with the way the, the tournament went. Um, and then, no, I definitely had a, a, a much different experience <laughs> playing only, I believe, four different decks the entire event. Yeah, so I... I guess, like, going back to your question, so mm. I opened an absolutely horrible start against the mirror match, and I 
I scooped after about 10 minutes. Um, so that was like not a great, the whole not a great match, way to not start, just game but... one, but oh, uh, no, 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 game one. Oh, game okay. One. So I scooped game <laughs> one, I scooped game one very quickly. Um, and so I guess like, and going into the tournament, I, I'd been testing the deck a lot, and I kind of like Nate said, there weren't a lot of auto wins, um, but there weren't a lot of auto losses either. And I think, unlike Nate, I come from more of like a I would just play whatever was good kind of background. Um, and I knew, you know, for that situation, you need to be confident in your list, um, have play tested the deck, you know, a bit to kind of like know how to navigate those weird mirror match situations that'll always come up. Um, and then also, you know, just, um, yeah, be like really focused and not make misplays, um, which is, yeah, what I was trying to do. So I, I will say my day one was like very tense. I, I played against a mirror, let's see, one, two, I played against mirror four times. I played against flying Pika uh, three times. Hold on. Okay, actually. Oh, and then I played against Mew twice. There we go. So those are my three decks, Mew, flying Pika, and mirror match. Um, <laughs> So, and I, I managed to go eight and one uh, with my only loss being Azul uh, on Flying Pika. And I will say, I think that matchup is a lot closer than a lot of people make it seem. Um, my two losses, one of them was like, I had an incredibly dead hand, which, you know, will inev inevitably happen. And then the other one was I prized Double Drizzile um, and I did not, was not able to draw them in time to actually like, you know, use, use my shady dealings to, to like come up with a win. So. Yeah, so that was that was my day one, um, but it was a very very long day. It was a lot of very close matchups. Um, all you know, some of them you know coming down to Roxanne, some of them coming down to me drawing the exact three cards I needed off of Melanie. Um, sorry, Kaiwen for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so yeah, very very long and tiring day one. But I think after about rounds two to three, um, I I going into the tournament, I thought you know the deck is going to feel incredibly good or it's going to fall flat on its face. I don't know which one. And after, after I was like four and oh, I said, okay, I think <laughs> I have a really good list. And I just, now it's up to me to, you know, play it out well. Wait, it took you until four and oh to say that? Bro, if I'm one and oh, I'm like, this deck is broken. I'm winning the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. All my, all my wins were like very close. So I, I think until about like rounds three and four, like, you know, I was going loss, win, 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 loss, win, something like that. So it was very... You know, it was very tense. <laughs> um, but yeah, I tried to tried to not let off the gas, uh, you know, until the end of the day. This wasn't where I was going to go with it, but now I want to after you mention that. Is it hard to finish a best of three in 50 minutes with this deck? It can be. <laughs> yeah. um, you definitely have to know when to scoop um, when you're losing. Um, and it's very hard to do that because the deck can make crazy comebacks with Roxanne, with those crazy four prize turns, with Echoing Horn, you know. Um, but I think just realizing when you're starting to string up like, okay, I'll win if I rock sand and then I boss and they whiff energy and then I'm able to find my quick shooting and then echoing horn, you know, as soon as those thoughts start coming into your mind, you need to say, okay, if they get another attack, I just have to concede. Um, because I, I think the deck is, you know, good enough to win a best of three in like most situations, probably not against Mewtwo V Union, but you know, <laughs> anything else I think it can handle. Um, so realizing that and, you know, kind of trusting yourself that like, Hey, like, I started pretty suboptimally. They popped off. Um, just got to shake it off and go next. Um, yeah, but I think if you you know if you play out a really long, you know, game one and you lose it, um, that's that's not entirely great. You're gonna have to hope that they you know break one of the two games. And I I will also I I think I just want to add that I, I I think this is a little bit of like an underrated part of tournaments 
Um, I'm sure I'll get made fun of for this because I went 306 <laughs> at a regional this season. But um, I, uh, I knowing when to scoop is one of like the hardest skills in the game, and it's not something a lot of people practice or think about when you test you're thinking about the, the matchups that you're playing and, you know, the lines that your deck can take. You're not thinking about the time limit. In fact, most people who test don't even test the time limit. And I don't blame you. I mean, who wants to? It's more fun to just play the game normally. Um, but um, they're definitely, and I don't do this enough, but there is value in testing with time um, and also just learning when your deck is almost certainly going to lose. Um, and I will even say that 50 minutes is so strict that sometimes, depend, depends on the deck, Maybe not Palkia, because you do have a lot of opportunities to come back later in the game with Roxanne. But sometimes it's better to scoop a game that you had a 10% chance of winning um, and, um, and and play out the full three games in those chance, in those situations. And sometimes, you know, 10% of the time in those situations, you will scoop a game that you would have won. Um, and sometimes it's okay to do that uh, because the time limit is really strict. And, and, and a lot of it's a very, it's a very difficult skill um, and it's different per deck. And I think it's important for people to think about it, and people don't think about it enough, myself included. Cool. Thank you yeah. both. I will say, I think Palkia is the kind of deck that if you have a playable hand, um, you can usually string together a win um i think the deck is that strong so um i think most of the times i was scooping was i would draw a pass for about three turns maybe boss something to see if they whiffed energies for a few turns but as soon as they started attacking i'd just you know say hey i'm going first next game <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that too i yeah palkia i know specifically has has just an outrageous comeback potential it's one of the reasons it's so strong um so yeah maybe not with palkia but... cool thank you both it's one of those things that always, it always have a question mark in my head because Inteleon decks can be so slow, and Palkia specifically is a very difficult deck to play. Like every decision is ridiculously important because you only have so many resources and you can do so much. So, I, I appreciate the like the general tips on that one. So now, Nate, you already kind of gave us into your day two, but I want to talk about that going from day one into day two because we have seven one one and eight one. Those are really good records. You're not just skating by at 6-2 and then you ID that last round, which I hate, by the way. But you're 6-2, you ID that last round, you're like, yeah, I got to go 5-0-1 you know, to make top cut. You're both doing really well. How are you feeling going into day two? What are you doing Saturday night? Did you go out and party in Columbus, Ohio to go to bed early? Like, where are we kind of at in there? <laughs> um. Definitely, definitely no parties. Uh, definitely no parties for me, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to basically, we, we went out for dinner because um, we we're all starving. Um, definitely also an underrated part of tournaments is just like physical, not mental health, but also physical health is very difficult to maintain during an event. It's, it's exhausting um, and very difficult to find time to eat enough food. I mean, there's a lunch break, but usually no dinner break. Um, and it usually go, goes well past dinner hour. So, um, so we went out for food and then, uh, I basically immediately went to bed, probably could have gone to bed a little bit earlier, was chatting about the deck, chatting about our runs a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically immediately went to sleep, um, and then woke up uh, bright and early for the next day, um, was again, feeling very nervous. I will say, I think again, mental, like your, uh, like your, your, your mental status in tournaments is not something a lot of people talk about and is really important. I, again, definitely misplay earlier in 
days in day one or day two than I do later later rounds. And I I think I I I, I had some pretty bad hands in my first match, but I think probably could have brought it to a tie if it wasn't for a, a couple of misplays that I made in my in my my first round of day two. Um, so oh yeah, very nervous. Um, but uh, it's important, you know. It's don't it. It's important to not let to get not to let the seven one one or eight one go to your head. Like it's just you got it's 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 impossible to realistically do this. But you, it's the only thing that matters is your next game and the cards sitting in front of you in that next game and try to get as many wins as possible. Unless you're in a situation to ID and then you can consider that. But otherwise, it's it's all about just getting that next win and nothing else matters. So. Um, definitely could have been better about that, but yeah, started off the started off the day with a loss, and then um, continued kind of going up and down. I had I think I went two 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 in day two, so um, had had like had, had a win, then had a tie, then had a loss, then had a win. Um, so it could have gone better. Um, definitely could have played a little better, played a less sloppy again, got a couple penalties for things I I, I should have done differently, but. Um, I, uh, yeah, could have been, could have been worse. But yeah, I, I think that's just, it's a good note for all players is, is keeping your mental status up over the course of an event is, is perhaps, is, is almost as important as anything else during a tournament, so. Noah, can you walk us through your, uh, day two run? Yeah, I, I was trying to not think about my record at all. Um, <laughs> I, I did not expect to do that well, you know, of, like I mentioned earlier, I dropped my first two re uh, nationals and masters, and this was my third tournament of the year. So um, I essentially was just like, hey, I'm going to play one game at a time. I just, I'm enjoying the deck. I think it's really good. I'm not making a lot of misplays. So I'm just going to focus on the game, not thinking about, you know, who I'm playing, what I'm playing against, um, what the prizes are for anything. I didn't even know really until like after top eight was done, like exactly how much like, you know, money there was on the line or like, you know, any of that. Um, the only thing I did know was I had to win the event to get my worlds invite. So I said, <laughs> okay, just got to keep winning. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, I think that's very easy to do though, when you're eight and one and you are feeling like, okay, the deck is good. I'm playing well. I just need to keep doing it. Um, I do think it's a lot more tricky if you're coming in, you know, like six two one or something, you know, you have to really hone, you know, like, you know, zone, get yourself in the zone really. And just like, um, yeah, just concentrate on all your matches, but I don't know. I, yeah, I tried to just like not think about it at all and not think about who I was playing against either. Um, and just, you know, play, play the matches and, you know, use the cards in front of me. So, yeah. And dodge Sander all day long. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was that was the most stressful thing. Was I kept getting um, paired in such? I kept getting enough points to play against Sander. Like we would have the exact same points, but I guess the way pairings work is it starts with the person at the highest seed and then it goes down. And thankfully, the you know people with the highest seed had always played against other people with the highest seed, so it would inevitably go all the way down to me, and then I would play against them instead of Sander. So I managed to dodge Sander all of day two, which. Yeah, I, I we had been talking about you know some weird lines that we could maybe use to like cheese out a win against him, but it was realistically like not not a not a great matchup at all. Um, so yeah, very very happy I uh, did not play him. And then I I unfortunately slammed into Mewtwo one of the Mewtwo V unions in my final round, and I did try those weird lines. Um, sadly, did not work. Came claim honestly decently close to almost pulling off one of them, but. Um, but which maybe we can talk about the YouTube V Union matchup, which is not good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was pretty funny that yeah, Noah, Noah was always like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna play against Sander next round," and then always it would be like, "Oh, just kidding!" You know, because these two people haven't played against each other yet, they have to play, and therefore I'm not gonna play against Sander. 
So there's always a little bit of matchup luck, but uh, yeah, that's um, it was uh, it was nice not having to play against them too many times. I'm curious yeah, about that. I will say, oh, I was just gonna say I'm glad. I'm kind of well. I'm not glad I lost to Azul, but I do know um, if I would have beaten him and played against Sander, my first game on stream ever would have been a very embarrassing <laughs> like dumpster fire where Sander just destroys me, and I'm like. You know, trying to come come up with some kind of weird uh, hydro break, quick shooting, like triple quick shooting, echoing horn kind of play, and you know, just like falling flat on my face. So yeah, that was you know, you ha- you do have to get kind of lucky to like you know make top eight. There's no denying that. Um, and yeah, I, I was you know, you just don't think about it really and just keep playing. And you, know, you, you were the reason. The union. You were oh, the reason a U.S. player finally won. Uh, finally won. <laughs> uh, NAIC because if you had beaten Azul, if you had beaten Azul, Sander would have won the event. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that is the most likely outcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm curious about that matchup specifically because so every Friday there's a local tournament here where you win store credit. So I'm like, I'm gonna care a little bit because that's that's free cards every set, right? People love to play their Mewtwo V Union. People love the funny stall deck here. So I'm checking the late night tournament results. I'm checking the online tournament results and the matchups. And for some reason, Palkia takes a very positive matchup to Mewtwo V Union in the online tournaments, which seems like that's a bad online tournaments or a meme type of thing. Is this matchup ever winnable for Palkia, <laughs> assuming you don't donk them? Like, what do you do? Uh... So the short answer is not really. I I I have heard there have been like some text people are playing that like made it harder from YouTube Union. I admittedly don't know what those would, what those would be other than the only thing I could possibly think of is a second echoing horn. Um but um which I'm not sure is correct although I it would probably help a lot. Um so I think in general if if both decks do what they're intended to do, you're probably not going to win. That being said, you know, in the middle of a tournament um, not everyone knows every line and every card in your deck, especially in closed deck lists. So we came up with some ways to potentially beat it if they didn't know what we were trying to do, um, which is not a super valid way of beating a deck if you're relying on lack of knowledge. But again, in a big event with closed deck lists, it is possible. So the two lines we came up with um, is I'm gonna I'm, I'm helping all the YouTube V Union players out here because now they'll know to play around it. But the, <laughs> the two lines we came up with is we would take. Um, we would take three prizes, and then hopefully they wouldn't have a... Oftentimes they can get a Mewtwo V Union out after that, but if, if they haven't gotten Mewtwo V Union out, um, you take three prizes, and you leave yourself in a situation where it looks like you can only use quick shooting once. Um, because they didn't know we played Rare Candy. Mm-hmm. And then they would have, in theory, they would have a Snorlax and a Meowth on the bench. They would have Snorlax active and a Meowth on the bench. And you would go... Um, and you would go quick shoot, rare candy, quick shooting, scoop up, quick shooting, and then Greninja to take two prizes. And sometimes, in theory, in that situation, you can dunk them because they don't have any other basics in play, or you simply take your, um, or you simply take your, your uh, fourth and fifth prize, and then you can echoing horn for the game. Um, I think from testing it once, that's pretty unrealistic. <laughs> that just whole situation is pretty unrealistic. I mean, it's theoretically possible, but yeah, pretty unrealistic. And then the other one, which is also unrealistic, is Palkia doesn't... The problem is Palkia doesn't do enough damage. You're never getting through that. You're never getting... Especially if they have no bench, you're never getting over that 200 barrier. Um, and they can just heal 200 every turn. Unless you use Palkia V's attack, which does 200 damage for 3 water energy, not something you 
normally ever use. Um, but uh, with a with a choice belt, if they don't have tool jammer down, again big if. But if they don't have a choice tool jammer down, you're doing two hundred and thirty damage. So um, you can do one of two ways. So you can you can move up a you can move up you can use star portal to to Palkia, move it up, use Hydra break for two hundred thirty. They heal down to thirty, and then you go triple quick shooting. We play two scuba nets. So you go triple quick shooting. Um, and then quad cross switcher. You you'd have to horn probably this turn also. You horn something. You quad cross switcher because Hydra Break says you can't use the Palkia to attack during the next turn to switch it in and out. And then that's two thirty plus sixty, which is two ninety plus the thirty you've already done is exactly enough to take down a Mewtwo V Union. The other slightly better way is you can just charge up a Palkia slowly, a Palkia V slowly, and then you can retreat to one of the things you're going to scoop up net, and then Star Portal that turn to get the energy back onto it. Um, and do the similar play, but it's high, it's belt hydro break, triple quick shooting, belt hydro break is is the theory. Again, doesn't work if they have tool scrap, if they have uh, if they have tool jammer down. Um, fairly unrealistic, but again, we were sort of we were sort of we were sort of grasping at straws here to come up with if there's any way of beating it. I I lost I lost my first game and then we didn't finish the second game against it. But um, if you're playing Palkia and it looks totally unwinnable, those are some lines for you to consider if you can try to pull them off. That just sounds so bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Not I, I guess you you also can just like get quick shooting down early and theoretically be hitting for two ten every turn with uh, Palkia V Star if you have the belt. Um, I do think like you know playing Tool Scrapper and Leon probably helps a little bit. Um, if you're able to get rid of their um, Tool Jammer, that's kind of plus thirty, and then Leon out of nowhere is also another plus thirty. Um, so I think you know Leon and maybe like if you're playing Leon, you are probably playing Palpad too. So like double like a Leon into another Leon with Hydra Break and Tool Scrapper. And belt, you know, I think that might be, you know, another valid valid way where you don't have to use like you know every single scoop up net and quick shooting in your deck. Yeah. Also, they play cook, which hurts yep. the like leave them with thirty damage idea. That was actually yep. how I I actually set up the play and then I used cook. I'm like, all right, it's over. I um, so, but yeah, playing just a whole bunch of damage mods, I imagine, would help a lot. Noah, can you walk us through a little bit too about that flying Pikachu matchup because. I don't want to have to make you relive top eight, but we didn't get to see the top eight matchup. Instead, we had to watch a miserable Palkia mirror match. I don't know if either of you have gone to watch the Bradner versus Wada matchup. It's not worth your time. It's like Wada bricks, Bradner bricks, Wada bricks. It was terrible. But oh. I, I know I assume we missed a really good top eight match between you and Azul. You did. You actually did. My game. Well, you did in the sense that um, I should have been O2. Um, so game one, I completely bricked. Um, I bossed a barrel and he whiffed a switching out for like two or three turns. Meanwhile, I was draw passing. And then I cross-switched the barrel again. And then he whiffed a switching out like one or two turns. And then he beat me. I, I would have definitely scooped very early in that match if it was uh, six, uh, 50 minutes. But we had 75 for top eight. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to like try to suss out his list a little bit, see if you know, how many bosses he's playing, how many Charon's Care is he playing, if he's playing any, um, you know, air balloons, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that was, it was quite unwinnable. Um, and then game two, so um, so for context, I had beaten Azul already in day two. In day one, um, it was kind of like a brick, and then like he bricks, and then I prized double Drizzile, and I lose a game against him uh, for my game three. And then in top eight, game two, I do my first deck search, and lo and behold, two Drizzile are prized again. And I'm already thinking to myself, okay, this is a quick O2. I'm just going to be out of here in like 10 minutes. Um, thankfully, though, 
I was able to come out with a win, which was incredibly surprising. I think Azul himself was like quite surprised um, <laughs> what ended up happening. And this is actually where Greninja shines, in my opinion, is um, against these kind of like V-Star decks where you can out of nowhere take four prizes. Um, so what ended up happening was I had already knocked out maybe like a Flying Pika V or an Arceus. Um, and I had hit his Flying Pika for like, I don't know, like 190 or 210 or something. Um, and essentially my out was I had to cross switcher his flying Pika out of the active because Greninja is not able to hit it after he uses Max Balloon, um, echoing horn a Bidoof and then quick shooting the flying Pika to soften it up a little bit more and then use Greninja to take four prizes, which was kind of out of nowhere. I think I had like a three card hand. Um, and I was like really hoping he wouldn't Marnie or rocks, or I guess he couldn't Roxanne, but I was really hoping he couldn't Marnie me there because I looked at my hand like a turn before and I thought, okay, I think I actually have a game if I just attack him here. Um, because also the rare candy was very helpful there because I think part of that was I had only one Drizzile in play and I was able to rare, like, you know, uh, shady dealings, um, scoop it up and then rare candy uh, for more shady dealings. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's kind of how I was able to come up with a win there. Um, and then game three, I look at my prizes there. Double Shady Inteleon, double Drizzile, double Palkia. <laughs> it did not. It did not go very well. Um, but yeah. So, so okay, going back a little bit into the actual matchup because I did play against it five times. Um, so there are a few ways you can win. The first is you cosplay as a Turbo Palkia deck and you go two two two. You you know K KO a Pika, KO an Arceus V, KO a Pika with Horn. Um, that's not always possible, especially because. At least Azul, his list was playing a lot of Marnie. And mm -hmm. usually you kind of need to set up, you know, a hand to kind of do that. You need to accumulate cards with concealed cards and drawing prizes. Um, so it's kind of hard. Um, the more likely scenario is you go, you know, you kill, KO an Arceus, um, you KO a Pika, and then you KO a one-prizer. Um, usually with the help of Greninja somehow. Um, because then you can theoretically win in about three to four turns, um, which is you know, a lot more feasible. Um, and, you know, sometimes also that, I think the Pika deck is very susceptible to just like drawing bad hands. Um, like Azul's list was very consistent, which was very, which was really annoying for me. A lot of the other Pikas, I could put them in weird situations where if they only have one Pika out and it's the VMAX, you can boss it, hit it with a Palkia and suddenly they're in a situation where, okay, I can use my Pika to take a one shot, but the Palkia that just attacked me already had damage on it from an Arceus. So that's not very efficient. But then if I retreat, I also have to find another, another Pika. But then I, if I bench a Pika V, they can just, you know, boss and KO it. And then I only have, you know, all my lightning energy are probably in my discard at this point, And I only have one Pika V max with damage on it. So you can kind of like, you know, I, I think like generally the strategy is, you know, KO, if they only have one Pika out, you, you know, you KO that. If they only have one Pika V max out, you hit that. If they ever have two Pika V max out, you try to go for... Um, hitting both with uh, Palkia and then doing Greninja for six prizes. Um, I think usually that's uh, what you'll want to do. And then, of course, remembering that Greninja can't hit the Pikachu <laughs> that just attacked you unless you cross-switcher it out. So all very hard to do under Marnie, um, which I think is actually why the matchup is so hard. It's not necessarily the Pika, although it does put a lot of pressure on you because um, it's going to one-shot stuff every turn. Um, the The hard part is you're getting Marnie every turn, so you might just draw five dead cards and... You know, you can't do anything from there. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that was underrated about Azul's list is 
four Marnies plus a Roxanne is a lot of hand disruption into a field of Inteleon decks. That's like a viable win condition. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it should be a viable win condition, but it really kind of is. Yeah. And also the fact that, you know, the barrel makes him very immune to Roxanne. You can't really go for those late game, you know, I hope you break off of Roxanne plays because he can just, you know, drop his hand down, essentially draw five and then, um, you know, use another support of that turn probably. So yeah, very, very tough. Um, but I, I, I do think it's, you know, probably about, you know, 50-50 or 45-55 um, if, you know, you know how to navigate the matchup. We also got a question from a viewer that I want to get to. This is from at Hail Mimi on Twitter, and they ask, how do you navigate counters and weaknesses when Palkia is a target? So we kind of talked a little bit about how there's not like a lot of lightning stuff out there, but let's say your opponent is dropping some lightning stuff or anything else that you consider, you know, a counter, because you know the deck better than I do. You know what you're afraid of. How do you navigate those matchups or those situations with this deck? Yeah, I guess um, I could probably specifically talk about like Pikachu and probably the mirror match. And then maybe Nate, you can talk about the random stuff that you played against too. That was <laughs> inevitably trying to beat Palkia, I'm sure. Um, but at least for me, um, the the weaknesses I see for Palkia are, you know, people just using lightning type attackers first and then hand disruption, which I think the hand disruption people aren't thinking about, but you're going to fall victim to anyway, because... You know, someone's going to see a Roxanne in their hand and be like, oh, you took three prizes. I'm going to Roxanne because, you know, it's the right thing to do without realizing that, you know, that's probably a, co a core strategy in like beating Palkia. Um, so I think to counter that, of course, what you want to do is, um, you know, if you're worried about Roxanne or like hand disruption, um, making sure that I think Nate talked about this earlier, but you establish your board state and you don't, you know, kind of rush into the game too quickly, right? You don't have to take, you know, win the game in three turns with Palkia. Palkia is a very beefy attacker. It, unless they're playing Lightning, most things cannot one-shot it um, in a single attack, especially if you have Tool Jammer down. Um, so you, you do have a few turns to kind of establish yourself, maybe find a quick shooting, get all your energies in play, uh, maybe without using Star Portal. Um, that's actually the ideal uh, scenario. And then, you know, getting ready for maybe an explosive turn or two where you go for like four prizes. Um, so that's kind of like you know, how I think you should handle that. Also, yeah, just like remembering you're playing a very strong deck. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you'll be able to just kind of power through these matchups um, with the help of, if you know, if you go behind, you can rock sand to get back into the game. Um, or, you know, you are playing a fast deck. So there's always the option of winning uh, with like boss, boss, boss. Cool. And then Nate, did you hit any other situations where you were like, oh, I've got to play around these shenanigans that I was not expecting or you were expecting and hoping not to hit or I don't know how to describe them, but what else? It's I, I didn't play any against kind of like I wouldn't call them like core Palkia counters. It wasn't like, oh, this lightning type attacker that one shots my one shots my my Palkia, of which there are like very few in the game right now. I mean, it's like it's like flying Pikachu um, and then like Raikou, who also just gets one shot in return. Um, don't forget choice spell blitzel. Um, there's oh, or is I, that strike? I don't even know. There we go. Well, I don't even know what that does. Um, <laughs> I, well, one made day two, and that's the only reason it's oh, well, it was Urshifu's okay. Zabstrika. <laughs> I know where there's some Vika Volts that made day two, too. Ooh, that too. Um, yeah. I thankfully didn't have to play against that. That would also be kind of scary, although that also doesn't one shot you. It's more just 
that's more that deck is more about like very early item lock mm-hmm. i think um but yeah so i didn't i didn't play against weakness specifically but i played against some things that i'm like oh you know this could be a problem ice rider i played against twice um for example ice rider one shots a palkia and they play i we play tool jammer so in theory you can stop it with tool jammer but they also play tool scrapper so if they really if they have the resources to do it that they can one shot a palkia um and I I think, and then I also played against a single strike Gengar who could one shot Palkias that I also was was a little bit spooked about. Although I realized the matchup was probably quite favorable because they have to damage themselves every time they uh, they put they they use single strike roar. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think in in both of those matchups, I think it's important to do what you should do in any matchup that you're not familiar with because I had never tested against either of these and um, just play use kind of the core strategies of Pokemon to navigate the game. Um, prize mapping is just really important. Like, how am I going to take six prizes against this deck I've I've never seen before? Um, I know Palkia against VMAX decks, a lot of the time, 3-2-1 is a very solid game plan. Um, you can Greninja, a single prizer, and a and a VMAX. You can knock out the VMAX, and then you can Horn Boss or even just Boss a V and, and take that as, as a very clean win. So I knew that as a core line that I could go for. Um, and then also just knowing generally, also being able to identify situations mid-game of what... Uh, of what uh, situations where you can take big big ad- advantageous plays against one of the ice riders i knocked out both their sobbles um and i'm like there's absolutely no way they're gonna have like melanie choice belt tool scrapper this turn um so um identifying situations like that is important so yeah i mean i and i i will go along those same lines i i knew the three two one line but it's important not to tunnel vision and be like this is my win condition i have to go for this you need to look at the individual game every game of pokemon is going to look different and go for the line that's going to help you most in that situation not not being like this is my only way to win so um yeah mapping out your prizes early um considering what the threats are and um and then looking for advantageous positions as you would in any other game try to you can also sometimes find similarities to other matchups be like well i navigate this matchup in this way and so this is kind of similar to that and i, I can do this that was what i did with the vmax decks i did i learned that from for playing against muse um and then uh i will say as a final note i think um what was i gonna say uh i think as a final note when you play against yeah when you play against something you're not you you're, you're not very familiar with um it's it's a best of 3 like take some time look make sure you're looking through their discard pile understand what they're trying to do get a good sense of what their deck is trying to do um and hopefully that will help you if you lose game 1 figure or out or if you win a close game 1 figure out what you're going to try and do for 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 game 2 um i think that's that's a that's a big thing that a lot of people don't do like before the game ends like if you think they're going to scoop or you think you're about to win take a look at their disguise make sure there's no crazy text that you didn't think about and make sure you understand what their win conditions are what your lose conditions are so you can go into the next match prepared that's some really good advice there and just playing pokemon well yeah i have another question my last question but uh if you're going into worlds would you be considering this exact 60 I I think as of now the like Mewtwo V Union matchup is sketchy enough that I would probably want to change a few cards. Um, if I were to go back and do an AIC again, um, I think I would definitely run the exact sixty. I Tool Jammer is like the only card that could maybe make a argument for cutting. I think at least like with the way we were playing the deck. Um, but. I'm not sure what else I would play. Maybe like a Leon, a Tool Scrapper, um, another Training Court. I don't know. Um, but 
yeah so NAIC I definitely play this again I think though with the Mewtwo Union I'm not sure how popular it'll be um I do worry about that matchup although honestly like I could see a lot of people just saying hey like you know Arceus Pikachu Crobat just kind of counters that deck naturally so people are going to be playing that and then that'll probably you know hurt the Mewtwo Union meta share also there are a lot of like crazy cards coming out in the Pokemon Go set um know like radiant charizard by itself could be like a very good deck i saw like i think toward was streaming today with like a literally his only attacker was the single radiant charizard in the entire deck <laughs> there was a bird keeper um, rowlet in there <laughs> oh yeah 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 um but you know um i i think if if i actually were going to worlds though i i'm like pretty busy with like life and with work now so i would most likely just like probably play like 58 of these 60 cards just because i know the deck well and i think it's very strong um, regardless of like what the meta shakes out to be um so yeah probably something like this right on it's always good to, it's always good to know so after someone does well with the deck of like all right heading forward did you still run it so it's good to hear you on that one i, I agree toll jammer is probably the worst card in the deck i i it's I mean, it, it like it won me a match against Blissey, and it was definitely helped me, like really helpful against Blissey, obviously, and it was it was helpful in other cases. But it wasn't sort of a core useful card, like necessary for the strategy of the deck. I think it's just helpful in a variety of match matchups. Um, really helpful against Reggie is really helpful against Blissey, but it's hard to say how popular those will be. So it sort of depends on the meta going into Worlds. Cool. Are there any other thoughts on Palkia that you're like, oh, you know, maybe as you were talking, you're like, oh, I should have said this at this other part or anything like that or anything on your runs that you want to leave people with before we sign off? Um, I, I think one thing we didn't touch on was like random texts that other people are playing. Mm -hmm. um, I There was a lot of, you know, Crobat, Zigzagoon, Luminion and other people's decks. And you'll notice like a distinct absence of any of those um, from ours. And I think the... Well, the primary reason why is, well, two reasons. First is you don't want to start any of these Pokemon, um, especially in the mirror match. Whenever I saw a mirror match have to use Luminion or start Luminion, I knew I was probably winning the game as long as I had a workable hand. Because uh, with the requirement of having Greninja and a Manaphy, and if they have Luminion down and another Palkia, they only have room for one more Sobble, which is very difficult to, to work around um, because you can't really use quick shooting ever. And then... Um, you know, just starting these in general is like not that great, um, which is why I think like the most of the Japanese lists are cutting them. I think some might be playing like a one Starmie, um, if that, because it's a decent, you know, starter, you can just free retreat it. But um, yeah, that's primarily why we're not playing it. And also the bench space can be a little limiting in a mirror match. Makes sense. Nate, anything else? Um... I guess just to, I think there's one matchup we didn't talk about a bunch, which I'm sure people will play against a lot. We talked about the mirror, we talked about Arceus and Tillian. I imagine like the third most popular deck right now is Mew. Um, I uh, I don't know if there's too much to, there's too much complexity. Some of the sometimes the matchup just comes down to Roxanne Path, but um, but I think one interesting note that people might not think about um, is again in a Vmax matchup, a lot of the time three two one is a very solid line. You you hit a single prizer and a VMAX with Greninja, um, and then you you knock out the VMAX with your with the Palkia, and then you knock out a 2 prize with the Palkia, and you can win the game in theory in three turns. 
Um, so you can do that against Mew. The problem is Oracorio will prevent, will, you only do 70 damage to one of their single prize attackers, and so that that will put you behind by a turn. But Oracorio is weak to water, not something <laughs> that is normally important. But um, if you're playing Palkia, notice the opportunities. If you, if you can, sometimes on your Greninja turn, um, you can cross-switcher or boss the Oracorio, and then you can knock out the Oracorio and then put the other 90, or it'll be 70 on, on a Mew Max to go for that 3-2-1 play. So something, something that might not be necessarily intuitive. Um, and then I think just general, generally a thought that I, I wanted to talk about at the beginning, which I maybe didn't, is just why Palkia is so strong against... I, I, I'm someone who doesn't typically play metagame decks, but one of the reasons I landed on Palkia is... Um, is just kind of how strong it is at each stage of the game. I think the card is generally strong. It's 280 HP attacker, very difficult to one-shot, um, does a lot of damage. The way to prevent it from doing damage is limiting your bench, which is often nerfing yourself and making your deck weaker. Um, and perhaps most importantly, because of all of those factors you have just an outrageous ability to come back in the game. I mean, I, I, oftentimes those games you're like, oh, I had a bad start, like, I'm going to have to do a whole bunch of shenanigans to come back. You win those games, like, if you're a really good player, maybe, you know, 20, I, I'm using a very rough number, like 20% of the time, we'll say. Um, Palkia, it felt like you won those games, like, 50% of the time. Um, like, you, you have, it has an unbelievable, un, unbelievable ability to come back because of that high health number, because of that damage output, because of Roxanne, uh, because you have so much control of your deck as Vintelian. Um, and I think that's really, that's really where Palkia's strengths lie, and, and, and the fact that there's not a lot of counters to it in the format. So, even though everyone's thinking about Palkia, everyone knows it's a really strong deck, I expect it to be, continue to be really strong going forward. Palkia would not be a deck I'd shy away from, because, oh, everyone knows about it, it's gonna get countered, I think it's, it's gonna continue to be at the top, if not number one uh, in the future metagame until unless something drastic changes. Cool. I don't disagree, unfortunately. As someone who's tried to counter Palkia, <laughs> it's uh, easier said than done. Noah, if people want to find you, where can they find you at? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. I just started. It's uh, Yoshi underscore TCG. Um, yeah, please follow me. I, I probably am not going to post much except for when I play in tournaments. Um, but yeah, which is probably not as often as other players. Um, definitely going to try to, you know, probably make a push for my Worlds invite next year. Go to like five or six regionals. Go to um, at least EUIC and NAIC. I'm hoping for the stipend to LAIC as well. But yeah, don't know how that's going to shake out. Oh, that should be like really safe for you. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I've talked to different people and some say, oh, you know, very safe. Others are like, mm, you know, don't count on it. So yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll take what I can get. I'll be rooting for you. I don't actually know enough to say anything, but I feel like with only two events, it's, <laughs> you're, you're in a good place. Nate, where can the people find you if they want more of you? Um, yeah, you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at at blah tcg uh, no underscores b b l a h t c g. Um, talk about Pokemon. Talk a little bit about game design. Um, I share deck lists and and when I'm going to events. Um, so I'm, I've been trying to grow my Twitter. So if you if you want to hit me up on a social, that's that's definitely the place to be. Both those Twitters will be linked below in either the description box on YouTube, remember to like, comment, subscribe, or in the notes on whatever uh, podcast app you are currently using. Myself, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mellow underscore Magikarp. This has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.